Have you ever had someone that you really loved, somebody that you really cared for, have you ever had somebody like that who simply just rejected you and ran away and ran out of your life? I was in grade school when this first happened to me. His name was Homer, and he was our pet coyote. Now, when I, whenever I tell people we had a pet coyote, they kind of, get, kind of give me a skeptical response, like, are you kidding me? Are you pulling my leg? And um, just to prove to you that we did have a pet coyote named Homer, I brought a picture of him today. There he is. Yeah, you're, not, you're not buying that, are you? No. no that's, it, well, we did have a coyote. That's not him, but we did have a coyote, and his name was Homer. And Homer came into our lives when, um, when he was a little pup. His eyes were still closed. A neighbor of ours hunted coyotes. And he killed the mother, and after he killed the mother, he discovered that there were pups in a den nearby. So he pulled them out and handed them out to neighbors. We got one of them. Well, Homer, we, we fed him with a syringe. We fed milk to him with a syringe. He slept in a shoebox in the kitchen next to the heating vent just outside my brother and I, our, 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 our bedroom. And we could hear him at night trying to howl, trying to do that, you know. And it was, he was really a, a fun little, little animal. When he got older, we let him outside, and we kept him in a dog run, and we let him out during the day, and he would play with us and our collies just like another dog. And then one day, Homer disappeared. Now, we wondered when that day would come. You see, we live in the country, and there were lots of coyotes around, and they would come up close, and they would howl back and forth, communicating somehow, and, and, and call the wild stuff, and maybe some sort of coyote romance, I don't know. It just got to be too much, and one day he just simply disappeared. My brother and I and my sister, we were heartbroken. And Dad said, that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, he was a wild animal after all. But it still hurt. We had taken care of him. We would scratched his belly. We gave him food and water. We even spoiled him by giving him his favorite food of all, which was raw bacon. He would do anything for raw bacon. And then he ran away. But the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. And what might be isn't always better than what we have. And one day, a couple weeks later, we heard some scratching at the back door and a little bit of howling. And there was Homer, a little skinnier, shivering and hungry. Homer was home and there was great rejoicing. And he never left again. Now, it's kind of a silly little story, but we all have the experience of having someone or something in our life that we really cared for and they just kind of leave us. And there's nothing we can do about it. They just leave us and they're, and they're gone. And we have no idea whether they're coming back or not. And that's why the story in Luke 15 that Jesus tells, the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, resonates so much with us. Because we all know what it means to have a friend or a family member who just sort of disappears out of our life. They reject us. They, they pull themselves out of our life. And, and, and we don't know if or when they're ever going to come back into our life. And so we turn today to Luke 15, and it's a story that we all relate to. It's about broken relationships. It's about broken families. And we all know about those things. But it's also a story of hope and redemption, of reconciliation, of restoration, of coming home and undeserved mysteries. And hopefully we also know about those things too. And if a person gets a hold of this story told by Jesus, really gets a hold of it, and lets it get a hold of themselves, it can change their heart. How they view other people, how they view themselves, and, and even how they view God. 
So let's take a look at this story now out of Luke chapter 15. So turn there if you would with me. We're going to make our way through some, some of the verses here. Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to start with a quick summary in a nutshell. There is a father with two sons, and it starts at home. And one of the sons gets sick of home and decides to get out. After a while, he discovers it's not so good away from home, and he comes home. His father's thrilled, throws out his arms, throws a big party, and the older brother, the one who stayed home, is sick about it. Now, as we unpack this story, it's, it's obvious that the father in the story is meant to represent God. And the two sons are meant to represent the two groups who are listening to Jesus tell the story. We can see that by looking at the first part of the chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus goes on to tell three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. So obviously the theme here is lost things, searching for them, and redemption. Okay? But we can see that the first group is, is the tax collectors. And they, they, are, they are meant to be like, to represent the younger son. It was obvious to everybody that the tax collectors and the sinners kind of lumped together, uh, were far from God because of their sin and their lifestyle. They were far from God. Everybody could see it. The second group is meant to be to represent the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Uh, they're like the, the older son. They were, on the surface, religious people. They tried to follow the laws. They tried to do the right things, go to the right places, hang with the right people. But here's the issue. Jesus intends for us to see ourselves in this parable. It's like he holds up the, the story like a mirror and asks us to look at ourselves and look at our lives and see where do I fit in this story. You see, sometimes, sometimes at different points in our lives, in different ways, we are the younger son. We're far from God, don't want anything to do with him, kind of rebelling against him, wanting to do our own thing. But there are times we're also like the, the older brother. On the surface, we're doing the right things, going to the right places, hanging with the right people, saying the right things. But our heart is still far from God. So let's take a look at the story. And first we're going to do with a, start with a contrast between the two brothers. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The first is what we call an out-and-out out rebel, right? He chafes under his father's care. He decides to leave home and in search of wine, women, and song. And he needs something to finance this search. And so he goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. I want it now. It'd be sort of like going to your father and saying, hey, you remember that life insurance policy, that big one that you're going to divide between my brother and I? Well, I like my, I like my part now. And dad must have chuckled and said, son, I don't think you understand how this works. You don't get this. It, does, it doesn't mature. You can't get it until I'm, until I'm dead. And the son replies, yeah, I get that. I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. Give me my money. Let me out of your life. And he leaves. He says, I want nothing to do with you. But I want my stuff. So the father in the story is a bit like God. And if we think about it, the younger brother is a lot like many of us at different times, who act as if God doesn't exist or as if he's irrelevant to our lives. 
we, we want God's gifts, His blessings, each breath that we take, the opportunities we have in this life, the beauty of His creation, and so on and so forth. But we don't want anything to do with the giver. We just want the gifts. Verse 12. The younger brother said to his father, Give me my share of the estate. And dad does, and the son leaves. Now, what would drive the son to do this? Well, it was simply he wanted his independence, right? He wants to do what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, where he wants. That's what he wants. He wants to call the shots. He wants the gifts with no strings attached. And so he takes his inheritance. He walks off to try his hand at life on his own, separated from his father's care. Now, let's take a look at the older son. He would be what we think of as the good son, the establishment son. He stays home. He works in the family business. He is dutiful. He does whatever his father tells him to. And they're having a fight here in verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I never disobeyed your orders. He's done his duty. He's joined the family firm. Probably wherever the father was, that's where you'd find him. If, if dad was in synagogue, he was too. If dad was with the Lions Club, the Chamber of Commerce, so was he. he. was very respectable, and on the surface, he was very, very different from his younger brother. But he's also nothing like his father. We see that in the story, verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the contrast is here, the father, whom the younger brother essentially said, I wish you were dead, give me my inheritance. The father sees this son coming home. He runs to him. He throws his arms around him and he throws a party. But the older brother stays back, sees him and, and greets him with a clenched jaw and a clenched fist. The father says, my son, you're home. The older brother says, that son of yours. You see, he saw himself, the older brother, as a, as a, a model son, the paragon of virtue. But he's as far away from the father as his younger son, as the younger brother was in the pigsty. You see, there's a, a, there's a big contrast here. The older brother, he, he wants the father's reputation. He wants this lifestyle, but he does not have the father's heart of mercy. He does not have the father's heart of love towards his brother. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that if we see God in terms of religion, I do this, you do this for me, so on and so forth. Things need to be fair in life at all times. Well, then we're going to be like the older son, in our, in our relationships. But if we see God in terms of a relationship with him, that makes all the difference in the world. So the question for us this morning is where in relationship with the Father are you? If you're like the younger son, then, and you're here today, then you would know that, I would think. And if you're in that situation, we're glad you're here because the Father is always, always waiting to welcome you with open arms, calling you to come home. But if you're not like the younger son, the question is, are you like the older brother? That's a little bit harder question to ask, answer. And so we need to ask ourselves, is my relationship with the Father alive and healthy and vibrant? Or is it like a, 
a, a frigid marriage that for years has given the appearance of respectability and devotion as opposed to, say, a, a real lifelong burning love for the other person. So how do we tell if we're becoming the older brother? It's, it's a real danger. I mean, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did not set out to become the people they did. Legalistic. Frigid in their relationship with the Father. So how do we diagnose that? Well, there's two things we can look at. A response to God and a response to other people. If our religion makes us feel better than other people, then we are becoming an older brother. If we are filled with resentment when others received undeserved blessings, we're becoming like the older brother. If we begin to feel as if God owes us something, we're becoming like the older brother. If we demand justice and not mercy in God's dealings with other people, we're becoming like the older brother. And if we have a cause and effect relationship with God, I do this, God, and therefore then you will do this, or you have to do this, then we're becoming like the older brother. And if we have these feelings and we think these thoughts, we are as far from the father as the prodigal son was. So back to the story. Younger son is enjoying his life. He's squandering his wealth. But what he discovers is that while wild living provides instant gratification, it's hollow. It's, it's empty. He's left home thinking he would find his independence, but instead now he is in bondage. And the irony is, is that he left home to be in control, but now his life is totally out of control. And he's isolated. His so-called friends have left him. At the end of verse 16, it says, but no one gave him anything. Now, his father was willing to give him everything, anything. All he had to do was ask. But when he runs out of things to give to others, his so-called friends stop giving things to him. And then we come to the turning point in the story in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses. In other words, you must have thought, how could I be so blind? How could I be so stupid as to reject my father and leave home? What was I thinking? And he begins to see himself for what he really is and where he is. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back home. Verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He's going to go home. Now, home ultimately isn't a place, is it? I learned this. I mean, we all know this, but it hit me in a, in a new way the other day. I was, a couple months ago, I was doing a funeral in north central Kansas on the way home, I thought, I'm just going to swing a little bit out of the way, 20 minutes out of the way, go by the old church I grew up in, check out the graveyard where some of my family's buried, and then swing by the farmhouse where I grew up. It had been a while since I'd been there. My parents left the farm 10 years ago, and I knew there, there were new owners and things would be different, but I swung by there, and it was kind of shocking at first because it looked nothing like what I remembered. Outbuildings were, turned, were torn down. The road was moved over. The driveway was moved over. The shelter belt was completely gone. Uh, it just looked nothing, absolutely nothing like what I grew up with. And it made me kind of sad, a little bit angry, but I thought, this is their place, they can do what they want, but it made me a little bit sad. And then I started thinking, you know, it was simply a house. It was, it was what we called home, but really what made it so important and special to me was the relationships that we had there with my parents, my brother and sister, 
with friends that we'd have in, with grandparents, cousins, aunts and uncles. That's what made it a home. It was about the people that, 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 that came into that place, that we shared together. Because home and family is about relationships, right? It's a place where we feel we belong and where we're accepted. And so the younger son senses this, and he wants to go home. He's not necessarily going to a location. He wants to go home where his family is. And so he begins to make his way home, and he's learned a very hard lesson. It's a lesson that a lot of us learn from an early age. It's that a lot of our relationships come with conditions attached, right? With price tags. I love you, I accept you if you meet my expectations and don't disappoint me. I love you, I accept you if you have the right friends and, and, and you don't get fat or, or unattractive. I love you, I accept you if... Just fill in the blank. But the amazing thing about home and about true home is that you are loved regardless, right? And so he comes home to the father. And then something remarkable happens in the story. The father sees him coming down the road, and what does the father do? It's been, we don't know how long, several months, maybe a couple of years. He's taken his inheritance. He's ran off. He's not heard a thing from him. He doesn't know what's going on. He sees him coming. Does he stand back on the porch with his arms crossed and say, this better be good? I really want to hear his explanation for what he's been doing the last couple of years. No. It says he runs to him. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. You know, have you ever seen the Queen of England run? Or the governor of Kansas run? Have you seen a president of the United States sprint across the White House lawn, arms wide open? No. We would think that's beneath their dignity, right? But think about it. In this parable, if the Father is God, just think about this. The creator of the universe, a perfect and holy and just God, sprints down the road, arms wide open, for the prodigal son who has rejected him, who has ran away from him, who's not been in touch with him. And he runs to him, he throws protocol to the wind, and yells, my son, my son. And he tells his servants to prepare a great feast for what was dead is now alive, what was lost is now found. And the younger son gets a robe and a ring and sandals and a feast, and he realizes something that if he had realized earlier, he never would have left home. It's how generous and how loving and how kind and how good his father is. Everything was his to begin with. He didn't have to leave home to get his because the father would give and give and give. And so a question this parable asks us is, are our hearts overwhelmed with the generosity and the goodness and the love and the mercy of God the Father toward us? In light of what we've done or who we have been at times, we should be positively stunned and humbled by what he has done for us, what he's doing for us, and what he will do. And so, a little bit left now. Back to the story. The younger brother is very fortunate, if you think about it, that his father saw him first. It's good that the older brother didn't see him, right? First. He wouldn't have been nearly as generous Verse 29, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when the son of ours, who is, of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Quite the older brother. Now, the wonderful thing about the Christian faith is that the Scripture tells us that we have the perfect older brother. Jesus Christ is not only our Lord and our Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, but He's also, the Scripture says, our, 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 our brother. And because of that, He took our place. He was stripped of His robe. He was stripped of His ring. He did not get the fattened calf. Instead, He got the cross. And He got vinegar to drink and the end of a spear. And this older brother, Jesus Christ on the cross, in essence says, the only way for you to be clothed is for me to be stripped. The only way for you to have the ring and the robe is for me to lose them. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we could come home. And Jesus Christ on the cross says, your sins are paid for. And he points us to the Father and says, come home. Come home. But he doesn't make us come home. We see this in the story. The older brother, he thinks he's home. He's in the vicinity. He's in the house. But he's not home. He's not in a right relationship with the father. And that's the true tragedy in this parable. He didn't realize it because he wanted things set up where people got what they deserved. He wanted justice. And only justice, forget about mercy. He thought being respectable and a good, dutiful son was enough. But it wasn't, and it never is, never has been, never will be. Because it's always and always been about the Father's love and the Father's grace and mercy. There's an old story of a man who died and went to heaven. And at, the, at heaven's gates, he, he, he met the angel Gabriel. And the angel said to him, here's how this works. You need a hundred points to get into heaven. You tell me all the good things that you've done in your life, and I will assign points based upon how good your works have been. When you get to hundred points, you get in. Okay, the man said, I was married to the same woman for 50 years. I never cheated on her once, even in my heart. That's great, Gabriel said. That's worth three points. Three points? Okay, well, I, I attended church. And, and gave and served faithfully for many, many years. Terrific. That's worth one point. One point. Well, how about this? I opened a shelter for the homeless in my city. I fed needy people by the hundreds over the holidays. Fantastic. Two more points. Two points. At this rate, the only way I will get into heaven is by the grace of God. Come on in, said Gabriel. So it is with us. We have a Father in heaven who has unspeakable riches that he is itching to, to share with us, to shower us with blessings. And he is longing for us to come home, calling us to come home. And he will share them with those who understand that a relationship with him is what it's all about. A relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ, our perfect older brother, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that through him we can have life and forgiveness, reconciliation. We can, we can truly be home. We can be in a relationship with you that 
is not based upon how good we are. And we're not rejected because of how bad we are. We're simply accepted and offered grace and love and forgiveness in life because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. And so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts and minds, that if we're like the younger brother and we're a long ways off, that you would, that you would help us come to our senses, that we would come home to you and find your, your grace and forgiveness. And Lord, if we're like the older brother and we feel pretty good about who we are, and yet we, we sacrifice mercy and relationships at the altar of justice and fairness, will Lord help us to see that and to ask for your forgiveness and your help in changing. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the type of father that you are, that we can always, always come home knowing that we'll be welcomed. In Jesus' name, amen.